Let me pray, and uh, we're going to get into the message here. So, Jesus, we thank you, and we love you, and today is about you. This is why we gather. We gather to celebrate you. This is a celebration service. We get to celebrate these children, these precious children today, and to celebrate not just where they are and who they are today, but who they will become. And, Lord, we get to celebrate you and your goodness and you coming down and reaching into earth and being a part of our lives and saving us. So, Lord, we we ask this morning, would you open up our hearts? Would you allow the Word of God just to speak something fresh again? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, <clears throat> we're taking off a new series today called The Promise of Christmas. The Promise of Christmas. And, you know, the celebration of Christmas has evolved over the years, and there's different traditions and things that we do, right? You may do as a family, but Oftentimes, we don't know the meaning behind some of the things we do. And I just want to say on the front end of Christmas this. Um, everything that God has created um, can be redeemed. Okay? So when you talk about Christmas, there's certain things that some families celebrate, others don't, or certain things that whatever. I just want you to know that whatever the world has taken and distorted, it doesn't mean you have to chuck it all out. It just means you've got to find the redemptive place in God. Okay? That's all of life. Just because you've experienced something negative or you've, or you've been a part of something doesn't mean God can't redeem it and make it new. That's what he's in the business of doing. So in the spirit of that, I want to highlight a couple of Christmas traditions that you may or may not be aware of and kind of uh, some of the redemptive meaning behind them. So evergreen trees, right, like Christmas trees, they are a symbol of eternal life. And Martin Luther, during the Protestant Reformation, brought them into the church as a picture of our endless life in Christ. Candles, you think about lighting candles, is a picture of Christ being a light to the world. Or holly, right? Holly. Holly speaks of the thorns of his crown. Jesus dying on the cross, he was put a crown of thorns on his head, reminds us of the sacrifice he paid for us. What about candy canes? Who likes candy canes? My kids devour them. Um, like they're french fries or something. I mean, they love the peppermint thing. Um, <clears throat> it's interesting, candy canes, you know, a little bit of history is, is a, a, a Indiana candy maker developed them as a treat years ago as a way to share the gospel. So <clears throat> one way to describe it would be that the candy is hard because God's church is founded on the rock. White because of Jesus' purity. Curved to represent a shepherd's staff or the letter J for Jesus. And the red stands for Christ's blood, and the three stripes represent the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Now, you can just eat the candy cane and enjoy it. You can eat it and say, wow, I'm being reminded of the gospel as I enjoy this delicious candy cane, okay? So whatever you're doing, I just want you to know that Christmas traditions find the meaning in things. They have a little more depth to them. But, you know, symbols around Christmas time um, remind me of the promises of God. Because, you see, when we talk about the promise of Christmas, what are we saying? The promise of Christmas, it actually begins with God fulfilling his promise to us to come and be with us. That's what the promise is. It's God's promise that he's had for a thousand years leading up to this time we're about to look at today in Luke chapter 1 of the birth of Jesus. But it's God's promises being fulfilled and it's promised to us to be with us. Now, God has made thousands of promises in the Bible towards people. If you can read, there's any estimates between four to 7,000 promises that God has made. And I just want you to know that God fulfills his promises. Unlike us, he doesn't break them, right? So all of us, when we make promises, we have good intentions, don't we? 
So like, I'll promise my kids, hey, we're going to go ride bikes tomorrow afternoon. And then something happens, something comes up, and all of a sudden we can't ride bikes. Or my wife will say, hey, kids, we're going to go bake some cookies. And then we look, and there's no flour and sugar. It's kind of tough to make cookies without flour and sugar. Um, and so, you know, you have a promise, okay, or you may have tried to meet with a friend this past week, hey, let's go to lunch, and then you text them three minutes before and say you got to cancel, right? Just so you know, back in the day, there was no texting to cancel. It's like, I'll be there at 2. And if you're not there, they're just like, where were they? Right? You didn't have cell phones. So I think we, we might learn a little something from that to maybe keep our promises a little more for all of us, right? But, we're, but, but we like to make promises or commitments, but it's hard for us to fulfill them at times. But unlike us, God always fulfills his promises. Um, now, in the Old Testament, um, it ends with the book of Malachi, right? The book of Malachi. And so I want you to turn your Bibles to Luke chapter 1. Because we go from Malachi, the Old Testament, into the New Testament, right? The Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And we're going to be looking at Luke chapter 1 today. And as for a little bit of context, Malachi ends, and there's about a period of about 400 years, which they would call the 400 years of silence, between the end of the Old Testament and the New Testament, meaning that God wasn't really speaking to his people during that time. Up to that time, he's speaking to the prophets, he was speaking to kings throughout the Old Testament, and all of a sudden now it kind of came to a screeching halt. But then you get into Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, as we'll see today, at the arrival of Jesus coming, and God begins speaking again to his people. Luke chapter 1, verse 26 and 27. And the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph, of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. So let's pause there for a moment. So to give you context, this is the sixth month of Elizabeth, right, who is kin, who is family to Mary. Elizabeth is pregnant with the future John the Baptist, right? And so this same angel had just gone six months prior, visited Zechariah, spoke to him about the son he would have one day, and Elizabeth... And now he's speaking to Mary, and he comes to her, and he speaks to her. Now, um, where Mary and Joseph are living, they are actually living in the northern province at the time. So you had the northern province and the southern province. So kind of take America and flip it around for a second. Because in the southern province, you had um, the holy city of Jerusalem. You had Judea in the south. In the north... You had the province of Galilee, which is where Nazareth is. So they're, 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 and, and at the time, there's a bit of a difference because what you had geographically in the northern province, you actually had Samaria kind of being part of the southern border of this northern province, which meant the Samarians, you remember that all the Samaritans, they were not seen as a clean people or a pure people in the eyes of the Jews. They were seen as a mixed people who worshiped false gods. And if you interacted with Samaritans, you would become unclean. You would become dirty, which means then you had to go to the temple, make sacrifices, and get yourself clean because you interacted with those sinners over there, right? And so Jesus is going to be born north of the whole Judean, Jerusalem area. And by the way, this is where it all starts. And so they're seen in this kind of backwoods area. You could label them as like your country cousins, right? Yeah, you know those people that you judge because they don't live in a city, right? Right? Or you're the country cousins. You come into town, you're like, hey, and everyone thinks you don't know anything, it would, it would be the same thing as a Texan going to New York City, right? Like, we show up to New York, they're like, do you guys all ride horses around there? I mean, it wasn't 10 years ago, 
I'm on my one-year anniversary in New York City, and I had multiple people ask me where the boots were, where the 10-gallon where, where the hat was. And I'm like, well, we have them, but I mean, I don't, I actually dress somewhat normal, kind of like you, and I do have boots. You should get a pair also, but I mean, we, we you know, so, so, but I wasn't even dressed that way, okay? But my accent, I don't have much of a Texas accent, but I'm certainly not a New Yorker. All right, and you know that because also when you go to New York, and not a knock in New York, but it's just the way they are, you say hello, no one says hello back. Now, I went to school at A&M 2001 to 2005, a hey, whoop, all right, and so when I went there, people actually talked to people. I know it's fascinating. We didn't have these little white things in our ears trying to block out the world, right? We actually interacted with other humans instead of all day podcasting Jamie and music. So my challenge to all of you that are followers of Jesus and you actually go to school Take the earbuds out, right? Walk around and talk to people. You're a human. This, this all day is not helpful. It's not good for you. Talk to people. Don't be a New Yorker, okay? Be a Texan. Say howdy. Say hello. Hey, how are you doing? So when I was on campus, howdy, howdy, howdy. I'd say howdy 40 times a day. That's just the way it worked. I don't know what happened to you guys, you know? So I go to New York, and I'm fresh out of college. I'm newly wedded. We're in New York. This is fun. Our one-year anniversary. Hi, how you doing? Just blank stares at me. I felt a little bit out of place, right? And so imagine Jesus being born in the northern province, the place that was a little more racially mixed, which was looked down upon, the place that's close to, to all the Samaritans, that's looked down upon. His accent was off because they spoke differently in the northern province than they did in the southern province. So then 30 years later, fast forward, he's born, he's coming out of Jerusalem, he's now showing the temple, he's now preaching and sharing the gospel. They're all looking at him like, oh, this backwoods guy, nothing good ever came out of there. Nothing good could come out of that place. Are you kidding me? They're not even that educated. There's a lot of resentment. So from the get-go, God decides that Jesus, that he's going to be coming from a place that everybody writes off. Jesus wasn't uh, wine to nine, by the way. He wasn't treated like royalty, even though he was. Jesus came to serve, but not to be served. And the only way I know how to serve, you just got to get lower than everybody else. God's design was for Jesus to get lower than everyone else. So that no one could say, you didn't experience my pain. You didn't know what it's like. No, he has. You ever been mocked at? Sure. Jesus has too. You ever been judged? Sure. You ever been ousted? You ever been confused? People have misrepresented you? Sure. He's experienced all of that. So geographically, it's a big deal. Now, Mary is betrothed, right? Anyone been to a betrothment party lately? Hey, kind of my betrothed. What? What? No, engagement. Okay, so for us, that'd be engagement, all right? But it actually had a little bit more meaning back then than our engagement today. So engagement and betrothed meant you weren't married, but you were legally bound. Mary is actually legally bound to Joseph. That's how it would work. In the Jewish culture, a father would go pick out a potential wife for his son. He would go and talk to that father. They would exchange a sum of money because you had to exchange money in order for the bride because that dad's losing his daughter, he would, she would go live with his family, and so there's an exchange of money, there's a contract that's done, now it's a legal binding document agreement, which now meant you are betrothed, you're now engaged, even though they haven't had the wedding ceremony yet. And so they were husband and wife by law, except they could not, they could not interact in any sort of sexual intercourse or anything else. That was saved for the wedding day. But they were legally bound as husband and wife. Therefore, that's how Mary is a virgin, even though she's engaged and betrothed to Joseph. 
So it says she was a virgin, which means she kept herself sexually pure. Now, Isaiah 7, 14, 700 years or so prior to the angel Gabriel coming and talking to Mary, prophesies this. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Wow. Wow. I mean, 700 years prior, Isaiah, a guy hearing from God, writes this down, prophesies it, and here we see it coming to fruition. The promise of God. Emmanuel, you know what Emmanuel means? God with us. Or God in the flesh. God with us. That's the Christmas promise. Well, let's continue on in verse 28 through 30. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one. This is Gabriel talking to Mary. The Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. Now, she was troubled, probably for one, as far as I know, the angel Gabriel's only noted of showing up four times in the entire Bible. Two times in a six-month period to Mary and then to Zachariah and Elizabeth beforehand. So angel shows up, it's kind of a big deal, right? So she's probably a little in shock, but she's not in shock by the greeting. She's shocked by the fact that he says this, favored one, the Lord is with you. For the angel of the Lord to come and say, favored one, the Lord is with you, like, what does that even mean? I mean, whoa, that's like a lot. That's better than any sort of award or, hey, I like you or you're great. No, no, this is like God saying, oh, favored one. So she's a bit troubled by this. And so what is favor, right? Favor is God's grace upon you. Let me me put it this way in our own situations, day-to-day lives. Um, Favor is when you don't shove your way up to the table, you're invited. Right? So if you're working at a job or any students in the room, they're going to be graduating and trying to find a job. The way that you gain favor is not by sinning. Sin is called manipulation, deception, disrupting things, jealousy, selfishness. Put it all in that category. It's the way to climb the ladder in America. Let me just say a kingdom way to climb is to serve and to honor and to respect. And you know what? It may not always go your way. I'd much rather have the favor of God than the favor of a boss. So for everyone in the room, have integrity. Have integrity and don't ever lose it. I'd rather be poor and have integrity than rich and not have it. I'd rather be dirt poor and, and not have the favor of man and have the favor of God. But let me just say, God is in the business of applying favor on people that are humble, that are servant-hearted, that are saying, God, come and have your way with me as we'll see that is Mary's response. <clears throat> Luke 1, 31 through 33. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever, and of his kingdom there will be no end. <laughs> you know, it was great seeing all these little babies up here. They're cute, aren't they? You just kind of want to squeeze them and kind of tickle them, and they're just all fun. And, of course, they cry some, but they're really cute. And um, I love hearing just the parents, just the words they have for their kids or scriptures or why they named them what they named them. But, honestly, um, all these kids and the words of their life pale in comparison to this. We love these kids. They're just not as good as Jesus. Um, Because I want to read this again to you, and I want you to understand 
what the angel is telling Mary about this son. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. This is a lot to take in if you're Mary, and it's a lot to take in if you're us. He says, you will call him Jesus. Jesus means Savior. It comes from the Hebrew word Joshua, which was salvation. Jesus, the king of the universe, is going to be the Savior. And the great thing is that Jesus is fully man and fully God. Why? Fully man because he's born from Mary, right? But fully God, he's the son of God. So this is the moment. This is why it's so pivotal. The birth of Jesus isn't just about, oh, that's cool, and there's a manger and a couple of donkeys, maybe a few pigs that are nice pigs, and, you know, that's a cool scene. No, no, no. It's a little deeper. Without this moment, the death and resurrection is meaningless. It is meaningless. If Jesus just came from a guy and a girl in some backwoods town, it's meaningless. But the fact that he was born out of a virgin, that he came fully God when he arrived. Just, you know, when he was born, he was fully God. He was fully God before he was born, too. It wasn't that Mary birthed the Son of God, that he was the Son of God. Son and the fully man and fully God. This is so vital. This is why the birth of Jesus is, is at the center before everything else happens in his life. This has to happen. He has to be born in to a sinless life. This is Jesus. It says he will be great. You know, greatness is defined a little differently in the Bible, isn't it, than we define it? We define it as accomplishments, or this person can score a lot of points, or they're a good athlete, or successful in business, or they're really smart, and had this research, and, 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 and that's great. We don't want to diss people for accomplishments, and that's awesome. But greatness in the Bible is defined a little differently than how we define it in our world. Greatness is defined by the measure of your serving. Uh, greatness is defined here in Jesus by his nature, his goodness, his integrity. Jesus will be great because of the way that he will live his life. And as you see through the Gospels, you see his greatness. His greatness is never about him trying to do something or just trying to, his greatness is about serving people and doing the will of the Father. So just for us, if, if you want to be great, in the eyes of God, you do the will of God. If you don't know, you just keep asking him. And you read the Bible. Say, God, show me somehow what is your will for my life. And I'll just help everybody to get there pretty quickly. Um, the will for your life is to obey God. It's pretty simple. Just obey Him. Well, how do I know? You just got to start talking to Him. You got to pray. You got to read the Word. You got to, if you want to know how to obey God, there's actually, a, this is pretty significant in knowing how you can actually align your lives with Him. When you're aligning your life with Him, then you're actually obeying Him. He'll be great, the Son of the Most High. Oftentimes, God's referred to as the Most High God. Because there's a bunch of false gods, especially in the Old Testament. They'd be worshiping false gods and say, no, I'm the most high. I will not share my space. God is a jealous God. And he wants single-minded, single-hearted focus in worship. Isaiah 9-7, again, Isaiah nails it again. He says, of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. This passage, the angel literally is saying the same words to Mary 700 years later. There will be no end 
to his kingdom. His kingdom, he will reign. He will, because God promised that the future savior of the world would come through the line of David, right? One of the great kings of Israel, King David. He said, through your line will my son Jesus come, right? So Jesus comes to the line of David from the house of Jacob, the house of Israel. He is going to be the one true king of Israel. And what's interesting is it says he will reign, right? He says he will reign. There will be no end to his kingdom. Throughout history, there's been great kings and great presidents and great prime ministers and great leaders. There's been a lot of bad ones too. But if you took the greatest ones, put them all together, where are they now? They're dead. They're gone. They were great for 50 years, 90 maybe. Had a good run. Jesus is the only king that will never end his reign. Remember, he died, and then he came back to life a couple days later. He is fully alive, and he is moving, and he is showing himself to people all over the world. He is revealing himself. Just earlier this week, I was talking to someone, and they were telling me just stories going on in the Middle East, again, of just Muslims having dreams and visions of Jesus showing up. They're like, I don't know who this person in white is that's glowy, and, I'm, and they're holy, and I don't know what to do. And so they're going to other people they think are Christians and tell me about this person in white. He keeps coming to me and saying, I'm the only way, and I love you. And I mean, Jesus, he is, he's happening. <laughs> he's alive. He didn't just, he didn't just, oh, he, oh, cool, Jesus. Well, well he, he's, he's, he's moving around in our world. He is making himself known to people. And this Jesus, there is no end to his kingdom, to his rule and reign. So Mary listens to this incredible description of the child she's about to birth, about to have, and then she responds to the angel with this. She says in verse 34 through 38, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? Valid question. And the angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her, who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. Um, you know, if you've already decided to put your faith and trust in Jesus as your Savior, and you've been forgiven of your sins, and you're following him with your whole heart, you've already signed up for mystery. You signed up for a God who's a mysterious God. She says, hey, how's it going to happen? He says, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you, overshadow you, and next thing you know, now you're pregnant. There's mystery with God. You actually putting your faith and trust in Jesus, there is mystery in that. That's called faith, right? Faith is not the things, all, all the things you see. But you believe it. You, you trust it. And so here's Mary in faith listening to this angel sharing with her. And what's interesting, though, is he, he says, this is what's going to happen. The son's going to be called holy. And then he diverts for a minute and says, hey, by the way, you're, you know, Elizabeth, your cousin, she, um, she's actually pregnant now. And she's six months pregnant. And you've known Elizabeth for a while, and you actually know that she's been trying to have kids for years. And has been barren, has been unable to get pregnant. And now she is. So side note, Mary, I know this is a bit strange how this is all going to go down, but nothing is impossible with God. And I just want to speak to all the women in the room, the moms in the room, 
that are having difficulty getting pregnant. And the future moms in the room, single ladies or Marys that don't have kids yet, I just want to declare that this is not just for Elizabeth. You see, if you take the word of God and you start declaring it, you start saying, no, no, I'm going to take this on. Some of you have had grandparents or family members say, it's really hard for us women to get pregnant. Some of you have actually done some genetic testing and said, oh, it's just going to be dangerous to get pregnant. Some of you have had other things. Some of you have been discouraged. Some of you have been trying to get pregnant for years, and you haven't been. And I just want to stand in the gap and to say, you can step in, just like Elizabeth, and to trust God and say, yes, I've been barren. Yes, it's been hard. But maybe today I can understand again that there's nothing impossible with God, and I can believe for that again for my life. And so, Father, I want to declare this morning over every woman in this room, Lord, I pray if there is any sickness, any illness in this house, that you would wipe that away in the name of Jesus. Lord, we, we declare that there is nothing impossible with God. Lord, that you are for us, not against us. And Lord, I declare over the future moms in the room and, and all the single ladies who are yet to be married or yet to have their children, Lord, we pray for health and life and fruitfulness in the womb. And Lord, we ask that you would do a mighty work in their bodies and in their minds and in their hearts and that it would be a testimony to give you glory. In Jesus' name, amen. You know, it's interesting about um, giving God the glory is that whenever a miracle happens in your life, the worst thing you can do is actually try to go back in time and figure out how you had a big part to play. But that's our default, isn't it? We love to get the research. We love to find the facts. We love to Google for it, search for it, and say, well, actually, yeah, no, God helped us out, but he was about 20% of the equation. I was 80. You don't want to go there. And some of us do that with a regular basis. You are so quick to find yourself the credit instead of being okay with the mystery of, I don't actually know how that happened. I don't need to know. It just did. Let's be grateful that it just happened. Someone's leg gets healed. Someone's knee that's messed up, it gets healed. Well, I don't know. God has healed it. That's good for me. I don't have to find it all out. And I just want to encourage this. When you try to backtrack in life and figure out how everything's going to happen, when God did something, then you end up trying to take more and more credit. You may not be knowing that's what you're doing, but you're just stealing from his glory. Versus God, that's amazing. And I trust you. And I'm just going to say that just like Mary, oh, favored one, there's favor in my life for that to happen. Thank you, Lord. I got a promotion at work. I got this breakthrough financially. Thank you, God. I don't have to know how it all happened. I just know that God is with me. Is it making sense? You, you, you don't want to live in a world where you all of a sudden think, I don't need God. We've got it all figured out. We've got the science. We've got the math. We've got the analytics. We've got the data. I don't need God anymore. I've actually got an app on my phone that tells me what to do in parenting every 10 seconds. So that's parenting app. Do that. Okay. No. That's not the way to live. The way to live is to live by faith. Right? To not live by faith is sin. We're called to live by faith. And Mary here is challenged to live by faith. But I love her response. Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. The angel departed from her. Now, just to give you a different reading here, in Luke, um, remember I said the angel Gabriel went and spoke to Zechariah. And uh, Zechariah was a priest, and um, he's married to Elizabeth, right? And the father of John, soon to be John the Baptist. Now, the same angel Gabriel came to, came to, came to Zechariah six months prior to him coming to Mary. And he gives him very similar news. In fact, let me just read it here. Luke chapter 1. 
And there appeared to him an angel of the Lord standing at the right side of the altar of incense. This is why Zechariah is at the temple performing his priestly duties. And Zechariah was troubled when he saw him, and fear fell upon him. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah, for your prayer has been heard. And your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you shall call his name John. And you will have joy and gladness, and many will rejoice at his birth. For he will be great before the Lord, and he must not drink wine or strong drink, and he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even from his mother's womb. And he will turn many of the children of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the heart to the fathers, to the children, and the disobedient, to the wisdom of the just, to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. And Zechariah said to the angel, after hearing this amazing description of his son that he's been waiting for his entire life, his wife's been barren, unable to have children, and an angel, one of four of appearances in the entire Bible, shows up and says, look at this amazing son I'm about to give you. And by the way, he's at the temple doing his priestly duties. He's like already in the presence of God. He's already in the environment. I mean, this is a setup for like a slam dunk response, right? But this is what he says. And Zechariah said to the angel, how shall I know this? For I'm an old man. My wife is advanced in years. Like the angel didn't know that. <laughs> the angel answered him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God. And I was sent to speak to you and to bring you this good news. And behold, you will be silent, unable to speak until the day that these things take place, because you did not believe my words which will be fulfilled in their time. You have the choice today to be Zachariah or Mary. You guys remember the story of Jonah? <laughs> you know, this is how it works with God. He asks you to do something. It reveals to you a promise that's going to be fulfilled in your life. And you can dig your heels in. And when you dig your heels in against God, one of two things happen. Peter says, okay, you can dig your heels in. Great, I'll find someone else. Because in life, there's reward and loss of reward. God wants to reward. He wants to bless you. But if you're going to dig your heels in, sometimes he'll say, great, I'll find someone else to do what I asked him to do. Or he may just say, you're digging your heels in? Like Jonah? Sounds great. I'll put you in a whale for three days. How's that? Don't you think Jonah would have rather have been on the nice ship, cozy bedding, hot tea for breakfast, candlelight, reading a book, seeing the seagulls fly by on his way to Nineveh? Don't you think he didn't regret that? Don't you think him telling stories to his grandkids later on by the fire? Okay, guys, so one time I disobeyed God. He threw me in a big whale. It was disgusting. Three days inside of a living animal, guts and everything. You don't do that. Next time, just do what God says. There's no way he's telling his kids, don't just do what I did. No way. Right? But here you have Mary and Zechariah visited by this same angel, told a very similar thing. You're both going to be pregnant. Here we go. And Zechariah's response, for some reason, his attitude and his heart were off. Then he was silenced for nine months. <laughs> Don't you wish you had those nine months back? So today I ask you, who do you want to be? As the band comes up, I just want us to stand as we close our time. Because this story is significant. Not only because it's the announcement of Jesus coming, but for us as a people, 
you have to, you have to understand that, um, that there's a response for us. So if every one of you in the room today, I'm going to invite our prayer team. Come on up if you would. I just had a strong sense this morning that for some of us, um, we're just, we, we have promises in our life. There's things we've been believing for and we kind of quit. And, and or, or your response has been when God's spoken to you or encouraged your heart about something, you just said, no, nah, I don't think so, God. I don't think that's going to happen. And I just want to say that if you respond like that, it's going to go down the path of Jonah and Zechariah. But if you respond like Mary, she heard all this from the angel, and here's her response. Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. Her attitude was a surrendered one. And I think that's what God's trying to get at today is that the promises of God, they only come to pass in our lives when we have a surrendered heart to them. They, they come to pass in our lives with blessing and with life when we surrender our heart, but when we fight them on it, it's difficult. Just look at all the stories in the scriptures or talk to friends and family who have fought God on things. I guarantee you they're going to tell you, I wish I didn't fight them on that. I wish I didn't dig my heels in on that. But maybe God's spoken to you. Maybe he's given you a promise. Maybe it's something you're believing for, but you've given up. Or maybe your attitude, your heart's just been a little off because you've been a little jaded. I don't know where you're at this morning, but these guys are up here just to pray for you. I just want to believe that God wants to minister to anyone in this room. If you're just saying, you know what? I just, I need someone to believe with me again because I want to have faith. I want to respond like Mary. I've been responding like others, but I want to respond like her this morning. And just come on up. Let's want to pray for you. So Jesus, we thank you. Just ask this morning. Would you make our hearts tender, every one of us, God, just anywhere in us that, that we're off. Any, any place we've decided, no, God, we're going to, I don't know if I want to do that. I'm not sure. I'm scared about it. I'm nervous. Or I didn't think that was even possible. Lord, we just pray. Would you come and minister to every one of us this morning? Just come on up. If you need prayer for anything, come